Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. Today, I have my good friend Val here with me, which a lot of you have asked me to interview her. Me and Val have similar interests. We have a passion for anatomy, biomechanics, mm-hmm. uh, intelligent program design. We have taken it in different directions. Val is a pro IFBB um, athlete. IFBB bikini pro. Yep. There you go. There we go. There you go. She even (laughs) knows how to say it better than I do. I'm like, she stands up there 99% naked and she flexes and she's a pro at it. She was so good. They gave her this card and they said, here's a pro card. Good job, Val. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I still remember when you got your pro card and I was so excited for you. Uh, You worked so hard. You worked so hard. Yeah, it was definitely an experience earning that pro card. It was not. It was not easy <laughs> with the kids and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That no. That you actually bring up a good point. There's a lot of people. Generally, I would say a lot of bikini athletes don't have families, which can contribute to the amount of time that they can put into it while keeping you know good life balance. That would be extra hard as a mom trying to balance family life and all that. (laughs) So (gasps) I can imagine. (laughs) Well, I did want to talk to you about, you just barely came out of a few competitions. And so we're going to kind of start from there. You just barely came out of a few competitions and now you're back at maintenance. So talk to us about that process because I mean, how lean were you when you were standing up on stage? I have never measured my body fat and so I'm not quite sure how lean I was, but I was pretty, I was pretty shredded. <laughs> so. You were. Well, I, I ask you because so many women, I think they don't understand a few things. They don't understand one that uh, bodybuilding bikini competitions are an extreme sport. And I feel like a lot of women, because of social media, they see women up on stage and how beautiful and strong the body looks and feminine too. They see that you can be strong, muscular, and feminine. And they kind of, sometimes they get really crazy ideas of these competitors just look like that all the time. Maybe they lose a few pounds for a show, but they're always shredded. They're always that lean And they get crazy ideas that they can achieve that year round too. So talk to us about the realities of that, Belle. Yeah, unfortunately, that is not the case. (laughs) Or else I would be in my tank top right now flexing for you all. (laughs) You would be 99.9% naked right now. Yes. Showing us your abs, your spray tan. (laughs) Just kidding. Got the makeup and the earrings and all the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it really, that is just not the reality when it comes to being able to stay that lean. So it is really cool to get that, like to that extreme lean look, the shredded look, but it's, it's just not sustainable. And that's the big takeaway that people need to come to realize when women are seeing these pictures of these stage shots of me or other, other athletes doing this sport that it's for a very specific time 
for a very specific reason. And then when you're done, you got to get out or else you, you can have a host of all sorts of negative effects that come from trying to maintain such a lean physique year round. So how does reverse dieting play a role in all of this? Because I, I, I think that there's a misconception with reverse dieting that people think that there's something magical where you can get as lean as humanly possible. And then if you do a reverse correctly, then you stay that lean, right? Isn't that kind of what's preached? Yes. It's so, and even in a fat loss phase, people want to maintain that end look that they get. But I know you talk about this too, all the time that the end of the fat loss phase isn't when you finish the cut. It's when you get back to uh, maintenance calories and a sustainable way of living. So you have to take into account that there is going to be a little bit of weight gain. There's going to be a little bit of fat gain. That's like, that's a good and healthy thing for your body. You need to have that in order for your hormones to function. Like you have to be a functioning human being. So Mm-hmm. Those are going to be some of the things that you have to take into account. And education is huge. So if you understand and you're educated on the topic, then as you move into that reverse diet and get back into maintenance, you don't have this fear or you know nervousness that might come as a result of, of that. Yeah, I love that. And and I I there are also different levels of leanness, right? So somebody who's overweight getting healthy, they can maintain that. And sometimes during a reverse, they'll even lose a little bit because yes. they're still in that healthy place. But then, but, but a lot of women, and I'm sure you get this too, Val, because uh, you're really athletic and you know how to get really lean. So you'll get people who are already healthy coming to you saying, now I want to get shredded. And you're like, okay, now the level of leanness that you can maintain shredded just depends on the person, right? So if they're wanting to get down to 15% body fat and they think that they're going to hold that during a reverse, what kind of education do they need? What do you usually say to those individuals? It's really hard to be able to maintain that lean of body fat if that's not something you can do at a healthy amount of calories. So you have to have logic in the conversation. And I actually did have a client who she since left me, but that was one of her goals. She wanted to try to maintain, it was like 13 to 15% body fat all the time. And it was... It was something I had talked to her about before she hired me, but she was still insistent that she thought that she could make this happen. And it was just, I I just had to be point blank with her and say, Hey, like, this isn't what I do. I'm not going to keep you at, you know, 1400, 1300 calories and having you do two hours of cardio a day. That's not a sustainable way of living. So we need to readjust your goals or you'll have to, you know, look for somebody else who is willing to do that for you, which unfortunately, you know, there are people who will just throw out a meal plan and say, here we go, let's get you down there. And those, at the end of the day, it, that's just not sustainable. And what are some of the negative effects that we see with the mind too? Yeah. Yeah. There's so many negative effects that come from, from that. You start to, you start to think that you're, you're not good enough, you know, when you're not eating enough food, you don't get good enough sleep. 
your sleep starts to suffer, you start to get digestive distress, and then you have the whole comparison game that comes into play. So you look at other people and you're like, oh, I wish I could look like them. And it's all about you. What can you do to improve yourself and just you versus you? Looking to other people is nice for motivation, but it's not a comparison game. Yeah. Again, you did an incredible post on this a little while ago, just comparing, you know, somebody who has a different physique than you and how you can look different due to genetic outliers, um, different lifestyle factors. There's just so many things that come into play that we just can't compare ourselves. That's hard though. That's hard because, you know, think about coaches. I mean, obviously you're a coach, I'm a coach. Our body to some degree is a marketing tool, right? Yeah, it really is. So uh, a lot of my optimized, like my one-on-one clients are coaches. And that's something that I have to work with them. And I have to work with myself on this one is that uh, to allow the body to fluctuate can be hard when it is literally your selling tool, like your, your tool to buy my program. Yeah. Yes. I think both of us like the education of fitness. And so both of us try to extend beyond that, that just look at me, I'm proof by my program or by my coaching. And we try to educate people and, but it is really hard when it is your, this is what gets people coming to my page. And I've noticed that when I'm leaner, I get more likes, I get more attention on videos and I will even like when I go through a fat loss phase and I lean down a little bit more, I get more signups for my app. It's so, so true. It's and it plays hard. with your head, right? It's a head game. It does. And so you think to yourself, well, if only I could figure out a way <laughs> to stay this lean or more relatively lean. But then again, you have to like check yourself. You're like, wait a sec. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> get out of that. Get out of that, you know feedback loop of thinking that that's sustainable. Like we know better, but well, yeah. And it's just, it's just practicing what you preach. Mm -hmm. Like I literally this past week had to walk myself through that. Yeah. Anyways, that is kind of hard when the likes start going down and people want to say that they're beyond aesthetics and yet my likes would show otherwise. (laughs) right but I have to remember like okay but this is I believe in education and I need to show my clients that I go in and out of leanness it's a place you visit it's not a place you live oh I love that it is it is a place you visit you come you hang out you enjoy it take lots of pictures when you're there (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then you and then you go away and you work on becoming even better and stronger and you know, getting hormones in balance and sleep, sleep improving, like all those, you know, lifestyle factors that come into play. Yeah. And you live your life and that's where you're at right now. So talk to us a little bit, like what, what does your food look like? What does your, or your nutrition, do you track all the time? What are your workouts like your activity level? I kind of want to hear where you're at right now. Cause you're at maintenance, right? Yes, I am at maintenance and it's beautiful so nice. Place. Yes. I absolutely love it. It's been so nice. So since my show, my last show was in August, I have had a few family vacations. I've had, um, I just had like a a surgery, um, a little procedure and stuff like that. And so it's been really nice not to track. 
there's been lots of opportunities for me to just be present in the moment, not opening up any app to track food. And I've been able to do that because I've developed these, these habits and routines that have got me to this place. So I know what foods make me feel good. I know good portion sizings. And I also know that it's fun to eat fun foods too. So when we were in Florida, we went and got voodoo donuts. I don't know. Have you ever tried those? I haven't. Voodoo donuts. Sounds like I need to. (laughs) They're so good. So yeah, there was, we were at Universal Studios. It's just outside of Universal Studios, but I know there's some others around the country, but I'd seen the pictures and I wanted to try them. (laughs) And so just having those, those chances to, you know, eat more socially and not stress about, tracking my food so specifically, but at the end of the day, still knowing that being at maintenance does require effort because I could go off the rails, right? There's that other end of things where you could absolutely go crazy, but you have to find that balance. And so I've been using all my habits and leaning on those tools during this time. I actually just started tracking again this week like officially. So why did you go back to tracking? So I started working with Cody. And so now that I've got a coach that I'm working with, I figure I'll try to get back on track and just see if I can't increase my maintenance window a little bit. I'm interested to see if I will be able to eat a little bit more food and maintain where I'm at. So the only way to do that is to take a little, take some time to track and see what that looks like. Okay. So when you say increase your maintenance window, can you dive into that a little bit more? Because I I do feel like that there's this idea that has been spread on social media that you can reverse your foods if done right to like exorbitantly high amounts and that if only right. And that overfeeding you now can push your maintenance up higher than it ever was before by this trick of reverse dieting. Yeah. Have you seen that on social media or is that just me? (laughs) Yes. Yes, I have seen it. I've seen the whole thing of like, if you can get your calories to a really high amount in your, in your off season, then you don't have to cut as severely when you move into a fat loss. Like I've seen it on both ends. Yes, 100%. And it's not true, is it? It's so not true. It sounds... So good in theory. Oh my goodness. I want it to be true. <laughs> but Val, Val, my feelings say it should be true. I so. guess. <laughs> in, in my heart of hearts, when I, because I spent, you know, two years in a build and before I went into my um, prep this year, and I was eating the most food I had ever eaten. And deep down inside, I was hoping so bad that I could get shredded you know, on like around 1900, 2000 calories. Yeah. Nope. nope. It's still, still have to do what I have to do to get, get shredded. I still have to go to those crazy places. So do you know what's, do you know what's interesting about that though, is I have noticed that I have some clients where it, this seems to be the case for building with them. Cause I've taken them through builds and I've taken them through cuts now, multiple ones. Cause I've had this one client for over two years now. She is fascinating in that her maintenance is quite a large range, but when, but her build, she has to push into an aggressive build to actually start seeing the scale tick up. 
like one pound a month. And equally, we have to push her into an aggressive cut to see it start to come off. It is really fascinating how different our bodies are. So what may have worked for that one fitness influencer of, look at me, I can now, my maintenance before was 2000 and now it's 2,500. And now when I cut my my cut calories are 2,100 calories. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. It, It could be true, but maybe her maintenance when she was at 2000 calories, she wasn't doing any cardio and she was only lifting three times a week. Exactly. What's her output? Exactly. And now at 25, she's like, look at me. I've been able to raise my, well, yeah, but now you're doing cardio every day and you're lifting six times a day too, exactly. or not six times a day. <laughs> that would be crazy. That would be crazy. Six times a week. Yes. Yeah, six times and a week. And so, yeah. So you increase your output. So it's like, I wasn't my, when I first started into fitness, my maintenance was 2000 calories. Yeah. Because you weren't lifting, you didn't have muscle and you weren't doing any cardio and you weren't even walking and you were barely moving all day. Yeah. That makes sense. And now you've put on about five pounds of muscle, but, but that's not the leading factor here. Like people want to teach you. Yes. The leading factor is your daily output. You enjoy movement now. And because you enjoy movement, your output has increased. So therefore your calories coming in to maintain at that output will be higher. It, yes. It's just a natural There's no secret. Of, no, it's not. It's not magical. <laughs> it's just a natural effect. More output need. It requires more energy comes from food. You can eat more food if you're doing more. That's yeah, that's totally what it comes down to. So, um, like with maintenance, like that whole maintenance window thing, I have always been a little bit, I, like, I don't think that I'm I have increased my maintenance range of calories, but I just want to test those levels to see where I can go. And I tend to do better at doing those type of things when I have somebody looking in from the outside with that objective view. Cause it is, you know, it's a little bit nerve wracking kind of pushing your food up. I'm not looking, you know, I'm not looking to build right now is what I'll say. So, but I want to see if I can't eat a little bit more food and still maintain. And if it doesn't work, you know, that's fine, but I don't think it's magic. I just want to see what my, my maintenance range of calories is at this point. I want to test that upper end of the threshold. Awesome. Okay. So what is that looking like? Are you lifting how many times a a week do you lift? Do you do cardio? Right now. So I just had a a nose surgery a couple weeks ago. So I took a week off and I'm just getting back into things. So I'm doing some more metabolic style type of training for the, just the next couple weeks, just training four times a week, but then I'll move in back into training five times a week. That's something that I started doing after my show in August was a little bit more training volume. So five times a week and my movement, I'm focusing on getting about six to 8,000 steps a day. And so whether that comes in the form of just like going on some walks throughout the day out, out in the neighborhood or, you know, hopping on the stair mill or the treadmill and getting some movement in after I train for a little bit, that's kind of my goal with that. Just want to keep my activity level a little bit higher because if I don't, then I'm only getting like 3000 steps a day, you know, just according to my, my Apple watch is what I use, but 
So I just want to keep it up a little bit. Do you, so about how many steps did you say that you like to see? Six to 8,000. Okay. And it requires time. So <laughs> there's it's time out of my day to make that happen. Otherwise, I would be here at my computer, you know, working or cleaning the house. I'm in the car mm-hmm. taking the kids to their different activities and things like that. So I have to make it a point to get that movement in. But it's important to me at this at this time with trying to maintain. I do. I recently kind of started testing the waters of maintenance and, but I naturally get about eight to 10,000 steps. And so this is really <laughs> <Yeah>, interesting. <laughs> this, so no, no, no. Val, dude, I love that we're talking about steps right now because it's not that yours is low. It's just that we're different people, right? Yes. So what is working for you and what's working for me is a little bit different, right? So I'm, I'm naturally a high mover. That's another thing. That's just like by nature. So I was talking to Alex. This was a few years ago. And I was like, have you ever met those people who just can't stop moving? No matter what, they're just always moving. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and he like looks at me and I watch him look down at my legs and I look down at my legs and they are just like bouncing. And I'm just sitting here, but yet my legs are bouncing. I'm just like a high mover. So I have a lot of output. And I see that go down a little bit when I get into a calorie deficit, but I still have like high output. So it is kind of interesting because I started adding in just like, okay, 20 minute walks this year, just every day, just like a walk. And it, it has like increased before where my maintenance was around 2000. Yeah. I'm now at like 2200 easily. It's kind of fun to find like, this is my lifestyle and how high can the calories be? Not this is my lifestyle and how low can they be? Yes. Because we're living from a place of fear Yes. And scarcity. Uh-huh. But this is my lifestyle and how high can I be? That's that's the sweet spot. And I feel like that's the mental change that needs to happen in our in our brains. I agree so much because especially as women, we always want to be again going back to looking at pictures of people on the stage and wanting to look like them and thinking that's a sustainable thing that we can maintain year round or, you know, work on achieving that type of look, but we, we always want to be, I shouldn't say always, but want to be our like leanest self, our smallest self. Yeah. Um, sometimes we hear, you know, of our clients that they kind of shame themselves if they eat more than they, their macros, or if they have a couple untracked meals instead of just the one or just those type of things. But that's where you've got to find, again, that balance, like what... Mm-hmm. what feels good for you? What's your lifestyle? Like, where do you see yourself in a couple years? Is this something that you can maintain? Does this make you happy? Always worrying and being in the scarcity mindset, or wouldn't it be more freeing if you thought, well, what can I do where I can eat and not worry? Like enjoy, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, enjoy my food and eat food you like. I feel like that's also a really important thing. People are, you know, they feel like they move into fat loss and it's like, well, I can't have this and I can't have that. <laughs> Those kind of things. It's so easy to do. Um, that's not something I often teach that people are shocked about is my, what I eat, the food choices at maintenance are the exact same food, food choices in a calorie deficit. I just make slightly slight changes to them. So I have my sandwich 
and maintenance with my grandma's sycamore bread because that is like the bread of the gods. It's amazing. Oh, it is so good. And we are so spoiled <laughs> in Utah. Because this woman was telling me from California, she's like, when I go to Utah, I get like 10 or 12 loaves of those and I put them in my freezer. <laughs> Anyways, it's so good. So then when I go into a calorie deficit, I have my same sandwich, except for maybe I'm doing the Sara Lee's, like it drops the carbs down by 20, right? Yes. Two slices of grandma sycamores, that's going to be 40 carbs uh, versus two slices of this like Sara Lee bread is going to be 20. And so I just make slight different changes like that, which is, it's really nice because everything is still the same habits and systems. And, um, it's just like these slight variations allow me to enjoy the foods that I like in a calorie deficit too. Yes. Makes, that makes such a big difference. And it's something that people just don't realize that they can do. You can still do that. It's, budgeting. It's budgeting your food and planning ahead so that you can have those things that you still enjoy. And it makes it so much more enjoyable <laughs> in the process. When you talked about your, your steps and then I brought up my steps and immediately it's like this comparison, like, Oh, you, you, like, you I don't have very many. A day? Yeah. yeah. And guaranteed somebody listening would be like, Oh, well, I need to change something. I need to increase my, no, maybe you don't. Remember, it's not, it's not, it's not a comparison. It's just, you find what works for you and what's maintainable for you. And I find what works for me and what's maintainable for me. And, and then we find like, um, the, the calories that are going to work within that frame. Yeah. How to optimize that. And so it's not that 10,000 steps a day versus 3000 steps a day. It's just, what is it that works for you? How, like, What's your lifestyle like? What's going to be make the most sense for you instead of trying to like fit you into what's the whole like square peg yeah. into a round hole or the other way around? You know what I'm talking about. I heard it both ways. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> round hole, square peg. <laughs> no, exactly. And then we drive ourselves miserable because we're like, oh, they said they do this. I have to do that. Maybe not. Maybe that's going to be actually what tips you over to where you're, com- you can't be compliant. Yes. I think that that's important to note. but you said that you're at maintenance and that you're not trying to build right now. Are you hoping though, to get a little, to squeeze out some muscle growth here or are you just like, no. Nah. So glutes, glutes. Yes. <laughs> There's always that hope. <laughs> yes. Everything right. else is Like for me, I'm very satisfied with everything. And from a competing perspective, from the feedback I got from the judges, they also said like, especially upper body, no more growth. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So it's kind of a good feeling of knowing that, okay, I know what I need to work on as far as the competing, but dude, I am happy about the lats. I'm happy about the delts and they don't need to get any bigger. And so it's just this maintenance and, you know, I'm still going to push myself in the gym. It's not like I am going to give lower effort. I'm still going to have fun and train hard and hit failure sets and things like that. But I'm not going in there with upper body growth goals. Okay. So how does training change? Oh, I love that we're bringing this up. How does training change for upper body when you don't want to see it build anymore? Does it change? 
Volume is reduced. When you say volume is reduced, that is kind of like, that is kind of a vague term. And I think for safety's sake, it can be a vague term, but I'm going to try to push you on that a little bit. Do you know what you're off the top of your head, what your usual volume for, let's say lats, because we, we've talked about this and we talked about it off air, how your lats are, they're good. Don't grow any more lats. <laughs> Cody, yeah. stop the lats. I hit all the divisions of the lats. I am, yes. I am a big fan of the CAS, the CAS everything. It works. It absolutely worked for me. <laughs> it does. It does. I cannot tell you how much my lat line has just like, bam, yeah. come out. That iliac division, like that iliac pull down has done wonders. But anyways, so back to the volume, like, let's just use lats. Do you know how much volume you usually get on lats and how much it's reduced? Well, I used to do some pulling and rowing, like lat specific pulling and rowing exercises one time a week. And then of course I would hit upper back stuff too, which indirectly trains the lats as well. Yeah. Now it's zero lats, zero lats. It's been zero lats since, since August. I just don't even train them directly at all. And for people to hear that, they would be worried because they're like, oh no, you're going to lose lats. What do you say to that? Even though you do like a lat specific exercise, just it, you're still training other muscles. So even when I'm doing an upper back pull down or a rear delt row, they're still getting trained indirectly. It's just not, that's that that's not the bias or the focus of that exercise. So I feel like that's a big misconception in training where people are like, oh, if you do this, it's zero of this, of zero mm. of this other muscle if you're doing this exercise. So, but it's like, no, no, that sounds cute. <laughs> that's not the case. <laughs> so lats are still getting trained, but I'm not directly training them. They're still, still getting hit in other, other movements. I love that. Okay. And then there's been some interesting research showing that you only need a ninth of the volume to maintain. Oh, that's incredible, right? Yeah. I actually just barely on my membership site. For those of you who are app users, you have access to the membership site and I have a and a section and somebody, I love that we're discussing this Val, because literally yesterday I answered this question because this girl was saying, I have large legs. I don't want to grow them. So what do I do? Do I just not work them? Do I still work them? Because I still want them to be healthy and strong. Like I'm so confused. People keep telling me just work and push hard and progressive overload. You have to do that. You, you won't get bulky like you think. So those were just some of her concerns. What, what are your thoughts about that? If you had a client come to you who says like you, Upper body's great. It doesn't need to grow anymore. They're like, hey, lower body's great. It doesn't need to grow anymore. What would be your suggestion or maybe how you would program or conversations you would have with them about that? So if it was a legs of not building the legs, lower volume. So maybe you would only hit legs one, like one time a week and just your other training days would be more upper body focused, or you could divide your muscle groups, you know, quads on one day, hamstrings on another. And then from there, looking at failure, don't take your sets to failure when it comes to your leg stuff. Maybe you're leaving two reps in reserve. And so you're, you're still lifting at a good intensity and, and having a lot of efforts in your training, but you're just not pushing yourself 
to so far to create more adaptations for muscle growth. What are your thoughts on, you know, if somebody really likes uh, running or something, just be like, keep in your running, that's going to maintain the muscle there. Maybe don't even do any leg training. Would you ever say that? Yeah. If that's what they wanted to do, if they were really adamant and nervous, be like, hey, you can drop, uh-huh. just drop it for a while. See how it goes. Um, and because everybody's... <sighs> Again, it's this like, we're all just so unique that we don't really know what's going to work until we try it. And so I think that's a great idea of just, you know, if you really don't want to train your legs at all, don't train them. You like running, just keep running, see what happens. And then if you find that you feel like you're losing definition or whatever in your legs, then you can add in some more training volume. Maybe you won't do compound lifts. Maybe you'll just do some hamstring curls and some bridges or something, you know, but just you try it. I love that you say that. I feel like a lot of times we forget about the individual. And I think that there are a lot of coaches and I look back on my own coaching and I feel like, man, I remember falling into the trap of, of thinking, no, everybody needs to do this one thing. Right. Cause it works for everybody. Or, or it's like, you're like, Oh, it works so good for me. So everybody has to do it too. It's like, if it worked for me, it's going to work for you. It's like, well, yes. <laughs> so oftentimes with that Val, I'll, I'll, I'll use the example of somebody who is struggling with their eyesight and they go into, you know, an eye doctor and they get these glasses that now they can see and they go out and somebody else says, oh, I'm struggling with my eyesight. And they, they hand them their glasses and their prescription and say, oh, this will work because it was my, it was my solution. It's going to be your solution. And the other person puts it on and it's like, no, I, I can't, I, I see worse now. Yes. Like this isn't right. That is how much of an individual we really are. Yes. I, I love this conversation about, well, what do we do then for somebody who doesn't want to grow? Cause there are coaches out there who are like, no, you won't bulk. And if there's a girl out there saying, first off, that term bulk is relative. So maybe to that coach and what that coach thinks is beautiful and what that coach thinks is healthy and fit and whatever, it's so relative. Maybe she wouldn't according to that coach, but maybe according to her own standards and desires, she will. Uh And so I think trainers and coaches need to put their own thoughts and desires on like, like put them up on the shelf because this isn't about you. This is about the client and what the client wants. And if the client comes in and says, I don't want my legs to grow anymore, then a a coach shouldn't force them and say, no, 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 that's stupid. That's unrealistic. It won't happen. You still do this. It's like, well, no, she just barely said she didn't want him to get bigger. Are you even listening? Or are you just trying to make her conform to your beliefs about fitness and health and, um, what looks good. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So I have a client right now and she, I don't know what woman says these type of things, but she told me she didn't want to build her, her glutes anymore. She's like, my glutes are good. And I was like, you're kidding me. (laughs) Everybody wants bigger glutes. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a thing. I didn't just hear you say that because that's not a thing. It can't be too big. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding because they can. 
Yes. And so she said, my glutes are good. Like I don't want to do any glute training. And I did just what, like I did what you said. I just haven't programmed any glute training for her, but she has some hamstring stuff and some quad stuff. So, I mean, she's getting a little bit in there and I told her, and again, it's that feedback from the coach. Like I want her to tell me like, this is still too much. And so I've said, I have, you know, I've got this program for you, but if you still feel like things are growing where you don't want them to grow, let me know. And I'll make more adjustments to you as we move throughout the program. So yeah, that's just one example that popped up where I was like, yep, here's, here's a client who was like, no more glutes for me. So, yeah. And you know, it's, it, it sometimes it, it is kind of like a, a hard thing being a coach because sometimes clients don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So I had one client come to me saying, my, I have so much muscle on my legs and my glutes. I don't want any more. And I know what muscle looks like. You're bringing up a very good point right here. Yes. Yeah. I think it's important. We talk about this. Yes. I know what muscle looks like. I know the shape of it. And I said, uh, can we at least keep a, just like a little functional stuff in? I I say that word loosely, but, um, can we at least keep like a a little bit? Nope, nope, none. And I'm like, okay. And that was kind of hard. That was my, like, uh, I actually know she doesn't have the muscle. She thinks she does. She's, she carries a lot of body fat in her lower body. Yeah. So she drops 20 pounds and then comes to me and says, Oh, uh, so remember how I thought I had muscle? I'm like, yep, I remember. (laughs) And it's that funny. We had like a really good relate coach client relationship. And so we could joke around about this and stuff, but, um, but it was really kind of funny hearing that, that that is something too, that I feel like clients need to be a little bit aware of is depending on how educated the coach is, they may be able to say, okay, uh, you know, we won't do the glute work or we won't do the quad work or whatever, but I do want you to be aware that, and that's such a delicate thing that the coach needs to, how they position this statement, right? Yes. Uh, You do tend to carry a little bit more body fat on your lower body. I wouldn't be surprised if we dropped a lot of the body fat and then you came to the realization that you wanted to incorporate more leg work in. But I'm going to be respectful and do what you want, but just know that that might come up. Um, So that way you can bring some awareness as a coach and they're not kind of, it's not hitting them blindly. Yes. As women, most women typically tend to carry more lower body fat in their legs and things like that. That's just, that's definitely generally speaking, but overall we tend to see more of that trend. And you do hear women say a lot with quads. My quads are so big. Mm -hmm. I, I don't ever train my quads. And so that's where a good educated coach can come into the picture and give that objective view, provide some feedback. But at the end of the day, as long as you've educated your client and they still make that choice of like, I don't want to do this right now, then there's that respect level. Like you don't ever want to force your client to do something that they don't like or else that just, that relationship doesn't work very well. Right. But then they will come back. And I've had those experiences before where they've said like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I see what you're saying now Mm -hmm. when you, you know, when you brought this up, but yeah, we don't know what we don't know. Right. Uh Yeah. 
I did have one other thing about quads though, because that one is brought up quite a bit where girls are like, I want to build my glutes, but I don't want to work my quads at all. Have you ever spotted where zero work on quads? Well, I shouldn't say zero because a lot of glute is going to work the quads in a, in a mid range, right? Yeah. A lot of glute work, but I, I did have an experience one time. I don't know if you've ever seen this where the limiting factor for the client became quads in when she wanted to develop glute work. She's like, why? Like, I feel like my glutes can do more of this load, but I'm like burning out in the quads. And I'm like, remember how you don't want to ever do any quad work. I did notice that she didn't want to do any quad work, but then all of a sudden she was like failing on her quads before her glutes were failing, like on the leg press. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so things do have, the body does work as a whole. We can't just pick the glutes and say only the glutes working, right? There's going to be hamstrings that are going to be stabilizing joints. There's going to be quads going through a contraction as well. And so maybe it is smart to keep, I don't know. And once again, this is depending on the person. Maybe just don't throw out all quad work. Maybe once a week, uh, like Val said, just get just one day where you're doing some leg extension, right? We're working it more in the short, mid short range. Yes. And a few times, once a week. And I mentioned earlier, you really only need a ninth of the volume to be able to maintain. Yes. So, and I've had clients where I had one male client come to me saying, my lower body is a lot bigger. I don't want to work it at all. Can I like, let's just work the upper body. And he was a soccer player. And so I was like, oh yeah, you're, you're going to maintain enough with soccer. So we would go through periods where we wouldn't train lower body at all. And we just did upper body work. And for him, it seemed exactly what he wanted. He saw a slight reduction in lower body. He was excited about that. Um, and we saw the, uh, the upper body build exactly how he wanted it to. Um, and so sometimes that is going to be the answer, but just remember that there are effects of one muscle to another. Yeah. If you pull something out completely, then you could have residual effects when you're trying to improve a different muscle group. And that's where, when you were talking, it was like periodization. That's the whole like concept of periodization and going through different muscle cycles and things like that. So you can have periods where you're not hitting, maybe you just don't train legs yeah. for, for five weeks. And then the next, the next program you add in some different, you know, exercises, but maybe it's still lower volume. So that's like the cool thing about being able to do that is you can give yourself time where you're hitting those muscles just to make sure that you're not um, creating any imbalances and then you can pull it out and that will just help you to maintain or even reduce muscle without having any negative residual effects. So I like that. That is perfect Val. So with that client that I spoke of, the male client, yeah, we would actually like, we would do systemic work and then we would include the lower body. And it was only two week period where he he was doing like deadlifts, you know, systemic work is like, we would be pairing things like deadlifts with 
with a push-up kind of thing, a superset there. Those lower upper, yep. And so he would definitely, during the systemic periods, get um, the lower body work. And then we would pull it again for hypertrophy work. So he was still maintaining, still like being able to uh, keep the health and strength of his lower body while not building it, which is exactly what he wanted. Yes. And that's, so going all the way back to the way that my, um, like a question that you asked me a little bit ago, just about the, my training and how things are a little bit different for me, it's kind of the similar idea. So I'm not, because I'm not um, so specific or so worried about building my upper body, I am taking the time when I am in, in hypertrophy to be more specific in the muscles that I'm training. Mm. And then, you know, as I go into different um, programs, then I can do some more like bigger pressing movements, make sure I'm hitting the chest muscles, but I'm not like specifically doing chest, chest specific work as my base for things right now. So, you know, if you look at like the different divisions of the delts, it's like I'm hitting things, trying to bias more of one fiber over the other and the front delts and things like that. But uh, of course you're still not training that muscle in isolation. You're still hitting the others, but it's just this focus. So it kind of makes for more specific upper body work, which has been kind of fun. I've enjoyed that. Yeah, that would be really fun. Actually, that would be a, a lot of fun. Yeah. So what about cardio? Are you doing, I can't remember if you mentioned cardio. Yeah. Just the walking. So just the steps. So sometimes, um, if I'm done with my training and I have 15 or 20 minutes, I'll get on a machine and get those steps in. So I'm not tracking heart rate or like, I'm not, it's walking. I'm I'm not, (laughs) I don't like running. (laughs) It's basically what I'm trying to say. But I, but people who love to run more power to you, like, you know, again, everybody's different. So we just do what we'd like to do. (laughs) So, and what are your thoughts on cardio impeding hypertrophy? A lot of people will preach that because I'll have people reach out saying like, Oh, I'm training for this marathon. And, but I also want to build, is it going to ruin my, you know, my muscle being built training for this marathon or sometimes even a half marathon. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Yeah. So in that type of thing, I just feel like it's best to focus on the current goal at the time. So if the goal is to focus on training for a marathon, still get your lifts in, but don't worry about trying to build muscle. If, you know, if that happens, that's great, but your focus is trying to do really well for your marathon. So I think that it's just good. Like, be more focused and direct with your goals. So you can be really good at that instead of trying to be really good at a bunch of things and then only ending up being kind of good at all those things. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? That's, that's a good point. I love that you brought up, like, that's actually usually my first question is what is your main goal? Are you trying to win the marathon? Do you want to be the first one that crosses that line? I have a sister who does. Yeah. She beats all the men. She's an incredible athlete. Um, So are you trying to be that incredible runner or do you want muscle growth? Or do you just, this is a fun idea 
for one reason or another, you find it a fun idea to. <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. <laughs> I come from a, a family of runners and I've just always sucked at running. Like I'm a horrible runner. <laughs> I finished one marathon and it was like, I'm pretty sure they were closing down the marathon when I crossed. <laughs> That's such a big feat though. Like you did it. You, you did it. <laughs> I, I did it. I did it. Even if they were closing down. <laughs> like, they're like pulling out their cameras. Someone's still out there. We've got to record <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, I'm just not a good runner. So I've never um, necessarily understood the passion of it. Probably, right? We usually like what we're good at. Yep. Um, anyway, so I come from a family of runners and so I tease. But, and, and what's funny is, 99% of the time people will write back and be like, well, I just think it will be fun. And I'm like, okay, then, then you, you really like any, like you can complete, there's no time frame. There's no big goal with the running. You just think it will be fun. Like it's not going to affect your muscle growth. As long as energy availability is on point, like don't try to be in like a calorie deficit, right? Because that's going to affect both. It's going to affect the muscle growth and it's going to affect your strength and running. Yep. So as long as energy availability is on point and you're training smart, then you're going to progress. But muscle takes time. That was that was another thing I wanted to chat with you, just kind of in closing. Let's talk about how long it takes to build. Because you and I have both been at it for a long time. Okay, guys, just to give you some reference, like, um, I, cause me and Val, we both post on our Instagram, like optimization of movements. We, we post about that. We talk about it a lot. There is kind of this anti-optimization movement going about. And I feel like it usually comes from people who they're kind of genetic outliers or they are taking anabolics either way uh, their results are going to be faster than what majority of us see and so they don't get why why are you worrying so much about that just work hard it happens and there are people like me and Val who literally are trying so hard to work so hard and it's not just happening right yeah can't just like pick up i saw this post and they're like who don't worry about stability just pick up the dumbbells who cares if you're rocking like you're still getting you're still getting your biceps worked and i was like oh, that that doesn't work for me though <laughs> yeah i i i, I do have to care about what work is okay shall we let's define what work is that's actually minimal work for the effort so no you're right there's a lot of people who preach stuff like that because they probably didn't have to go down the path that you and I had to go down. Yeah. Of we're working hard. We're doing everything we're told to. How come it's not coming as fast for us? And um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I just, I just want to talk to you a little bit about that. Like help remind the listeners that this, this takes time. It takes a long time. But yeah, I met you in 2016 and I was just like getting started into the world of body lifting, bodybuilding and strength training. We, I remember we would have 
moments where we would be in the gym, like really trying to optimize rear delts or trying to do these like very specific things. Cause we were both trying to figure out how to best train. There's so many things we can do to optimize our training. And I'm never going to say that that's a bad thing. Like, and you got to do what you need to do in order to get the results that you're looking for, but you need to do it in an intelligent fashion. You need to make sure that you're managing your recovery. I think that's huge. And you need to make sure that you're eating enough food. So going back to the topic that we've brought up a few times already of, um, you know, most women, we tend to want to be as lean as possible. We're trying to achieve these unrealistic outlooks when it comes to fat loss and trying to maintain those end results when we really need to get back up to a maintenance. So being able to eat and develop a good relationship with food and then just taking the time, staying in a good maintenance level or even taking food up and having periods where you're building and eating more in a, in a surplus is really going to help with your goals of muscle growth, which at the end of the day is that toned, the toned thing that people mm-hmm. talk about all the time. The toned thing. <laughs> the toned. It's like, oh, I want to get toned, but I don't want to get bulky. Well, toned is muscle. So you need to eat. You got to be a little bit, um, you got to be okay with adding some weight or using the scale just as a, you know, using it as a tool and not worrying when the scale goes up because you're trying to build muscle. Like that's what we're trying to do here. So those type of things have um, like for me have played a significant role in my growth over the last seven years. And it's been very intentional. I think that's another thing. Like I have been very intentional with what I've done and very focused and same with you. Like you've been very intentional with your progress and seeking out education to improve um, your methods. And it's, I mean, the results speak for themselves, right? You can see that the consistency over time and just continuing to put in those daily steps, those daily habits is what's brought, brought you to where you are now. And it's usually years, not months, years, not even a year. year. I want it to be months. Months would be so nice. So nice. Like I want to do a 12 week challenge and be one of those before and afters and be like, yo, (laughs) look at me. (laughs) No, that wasn't either one of us. No, that was not either one of us. No, Um, there is always going to be a level of genetics that comes into play. And I don't want to use that as an excuse for lack of effort or anything like that. But there, but there just is people are shaped differently. People can eat like their um, metabolism, their, you know, their basal metabolic rate is different. There's their stress levels different. There's so many things that come into play that we just can't take them all into account. And Mm -hmm. so that what, you know, you versus you, that programming for you and just trying your best is really what it comes down to. Yep. Exactly. Well, Val, it's been awesome to have you on here. Um, Are you taking clients right now? Yes, I am taking clients. Awesome. 
Okay. So any of you that really, really, really want a little bit more of optimized training for you and your specific goals and needs, I would say hit up Val because she will write those programs for you. I only have limited spots. Uh, It's program design is probably the most consuming part, I would say of what I do. And so I only have like a few spots that I do personalized program design. Val is amazing. She has, me and her have very similar education and background and um, her programming is spot on. So she is definitely somebody that I would refer. And I do refer people every single time they write you and they're like, you have, thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. They're like, yeah, I've been on your wait list a year lens. Who else can I use? (laughs) Val, Val, she's the dark haired version of me with with better delts and glutes, but she's the dark haired version of me. (laughs) No, no, that is not, (laughs) not the case. You've got, yeah, you've got amazing. Definitely hit her up. She is awesome. Thank you so much, Val, for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a really fun discussion and looking forward to seeing what happens going forward. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Lifting Lindsay podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, you can DM me or Val. You can follow her. I'll put her uh Instagram handle in the notes for you to follow her. Reach out to her if you would like specialized programming. She's amazing at that. If you have any questions about my training app or my coaching, you can go to liftinglindsay.com. 